All right, we are recording because Tira is being funny and saying great things, and I'm sick of her saying it off the air. So this is the Nine for Nico podcast. I have my uh, very awesome, very wonderful friend Tara Roland here with me. Um, she's a nurse practitioner. She is largely one of the reasons I'm even in this space to begin with. Um, she was in mental health. How long have you been in mental health for? Um, well. Just as a nurse practitioner. As a nurse practitioner, yeah. uh, about five years, six okay. years as a practicing licensed nurse practitioner. Yeah. Um, and more importantly, you own Lotus well, Health. Mm-hmm. And that's where I did some uh, clinical hours with Tira. She was kind enough to take me on. It was very last minute. And thank God, because it was probably one of the most insightful periods of my schooling um, where we really got to sit down and hash things out with, with patients of all walks of life coming in and, and questioning what what cannabis has, as, med, as a medicine could do for them in their lives. Um, so anyways, Tara, tell people a little bit about yourself and what you're doing now. Okay. So um, yeah, as Nico said, I own Lotus Health, which is a small practice um, physically in Mason, Ohio. However, we do uh, mostly telemedicine now, but Lotus focuses on um, more holistic approaches um, would be what what people typically come to us for. However, um, our main focus is on uh, just freedom of choice. There's a lot of people who want to, you know, use traditional medicine for this, this, and this, but they want to dabble in, you know, plant medicine for something else. And so basically just um, they come to get information and sometimes to explore options, um, you know, for something that works for them. So whatever works for them. Mm-hmm. One of the things that, you know, got got me interested in medical cannabis at, at large was was more or less that it was providing a significant amount of value to people um, that that I'd not seen many other types of medications provide and, right. and, and even better with a very, very small amount, if, if we even call them side effects or adverse reactions. Um, you know, I think Tara would probably agree with me is that, you know, one of the ways I think you and I practice medicine in general is, is providing the most value and good to a person as possible with whatever, tools we have and and ensuring that whatever we're doing isn't harming them, especially in the long term. Um, and I think this is where in particular we see modern medicine, but, but especially in mental health, SSRIs, antipsychotics, or mood stabilizers, um, even anxiolytics. So we're talking about like Xanax and, and different types of benzodiazepines really fail uh, dramatically. Right. Um, and, and in fact, I mean, you and I both know the literature on all of these medications. They largely have no great uh, influence on our overall health and well-being. And in fact, it's probably a net negative as years go on. Um, And and then, you know, here enters cannabis, which has these really robust effects um, and, and, and works in in a synergy with our own pathophysiology, generally speaking, rather than suppressing or, or, or artificially um, creating a imbalance mm-hmm. in our neuroendocrine system and, and immune system and so on and so forth. So anyways, um, you know, what, what's your thoughts? So briefly tell people about 
how cannabis can be used for mental health. Cause I think this is the crux for a lot of people that come to see me. Um, you know, sometimes I'll mention these things and it's, it's a whole can of worms when I say, well, we could, you know, consider using, uh, even CBD, but, but, but more or less THC, I think is where people get mm-hmm. held up a little bit. What, what would be the benefit of someone with, let's just go with depression or anxiety using a THC product, maybe even with a CBD product? Well, the way that, you know, typically, of course, in our society, cannabis is, is it's another moneymaker. It's another industry um, where people are able to, you know, the more they sell, the better. Um, what we do, and, and kind of, you know, Nico, what I've seen you do even with, um, you know, clients and friends is explain that our goal is not just to put a Band-Aid on the problem. Our goal is to balance the endogenous cannabinoid system itself. The endogenous cannabinoid system is a regulatory system. So that particular system is actually in charge of the regulation and the homeostasis, so the balance of all of these different functions and all of these different systems. And obviously with your brain and those chemicals in your brain that make up, you know, the the how we think, how we perceive reality, how we perceive a situation how we feel pain, how we, you know, how we, um, how we move. So how you think, feel, act, and move, it's all controlled by these, you know, these chemicals in his brain and the, and the balance of those chemicals. And for a million different reasons, that balance can be off. So something that, you know, that, that you also practice in is finding out why is this balance off, but also simultaneously, you know, with experience and and with kind of understanding the system itself, looking at, okay, so what can we do to balance the endogenous cannabinoid system while also looking at other things that are important, such as genetic mutations, looking at, um, you know, deficiencies and, you know, vitamin D and zinc Mm -hmm. and, you know, all of these things that that then support those chemicals or support the transportation of those chemicals. Whereas the endogenous cannabinoid system, and you have the cannabinoid one receptors specifically, um, that are really in charge of processing that information and making, you know, taking all these messages and then, you know, making it into usable information and then directing the traffic of those neurotransmitters to where they're supposed to go. So in my head, I always see like a mail room. Mm-hmm. You know, with all of the different letters being dumped into a bucket and then they're being sent out based upon their zip code and, you know, but also translating those letters at the same time into messages and, and like a language interpreter. Um, and based upon a deficiency that we might have. So we have natural cannabinoids. We have our own natural THC, which is called anandamide. Mm-hmm. Some people have an anandamide deficiency. And anandamide is what binds to that cannabinoid 1 receptor, really activating it, turning it on. And sometimes we don't have enough anandamide. Sometimes we have too much of other things like fatty acids that tear down our anandamide too quickly. Sometimes we have misshapen receptors because of certain genetic mutations. And so all we're doing is saying, okay, so we don't have enough of of what we need of anandamide, um, possibly, So we're replacing it with a phytocannabinoid, which is just the plant version. At the end of the day, something that seems to be lost in translation is cannabis is just a plant. It's just a flower. That's all. Just a flower like lavender. 
Like it's just mm-hmm. a flower, like, you know, pine trees. It's just a, it's just a plant. And there are other ways to support your endogenous cannabinoid system aside from just cannabis. Mm-hmm. Um, there are certain foods, there are certain, you know, terpenes and smells that help stimulate that. But it's really taking a look at listening to your body to figure out what it is that you might need. Um, you know, for example, dark chocolate. I crave dark chocolate. And dark chocolate actually stimulates anandamide, which would make sense for somebody with an anandamide deficiency. Mm-hmm. So with cannabis, you have the option of replacing something that's missing with the plant version, just like you replace vitamin D if you're missing it, if you replace magnesium if you're missing it, um, that type of thing. And then there's other cannabinoids besides THC. There's over 100 known cannabinoids that all do different things, and they all come from the same place. And there's other cannabinoids that actually bind to different receptors and stimulate different receptors that help with the balance of those chemicals in your brain. Yeah. So you can use cannabis to treat ADD. You can use cannabis to treat, um, you know, anxiety, at least to balance the chemicals in your brain that are causing some of those symptoms, you know, associated with the inability to concentrate or the inability to fall asleep because your mind is racing. Or, you know, you can basically try and balance those things out without the risk of some of the side effects um, of traditional you know, medications that we use. Because a lot of the medications that we use, especially for neurochemistry, actually, we're playing Russian roulette with people's brains. Exactly, yeah. Where we're kind of throwing things in the dark. Now, we've got some tools now where we can look at genes and we can look at you know your specific genetic code and say, like, well, you're more likely to have a reaction to this or less likely to respond to this. And that is very helpful, um, you know, to have that. But really we, what I try to do is move away from adding another drug for another ailment and and trying to balance the endocannabinoid system in a way that allows you and, and the patient and your client, the ability to have an accurate baseline assessment Mm-hmm. of what is actually wrong and what's a side effect between, you know, based on something else. So you want to fix what you can and get everything at your baseline. And then, you know, you have the option of adding drugs. Not all pills are bad. Not all, you know, inventions and and, and innovative, you know, options for medicine is bad. I, I prescribe regular medicine too. Um you know, if that's something that that person chooses, but it's nice when, you know, we've experienced it where you have somebody on 10 different medications and then all of a sudden, and they still feel bad. That's, that's the thing that I don't understand is that people are on all these drugs and I'm like, so you must feel great. And they're like, no, I feel horrible. I'm like, okay, so tell me again why we're on all these drugs then. Right. So with, what, what is it doing for you? Right. It's still, you're still miserable. So why <laughs> add all of this money and damage to your organs for metabolizing these drugs? But anyway, what we're doing is, is really giving people the option of making, allowing them to be empowered to be them. Mm-hmm. The endocannabinoid system puts your trains on your tracks mm-hmm. as much as possible so if you need to balance that system, so then therefore it can do its job by balancing your other systems, that's really the goal, including yeah. mental health. 
Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I, I literally say that same thing to my patients. I, I literally use the words, I, I'm wanting to help you be more of yourself. Yeah. Um, because I, I think what most patients who come to see me can, can readily recognize is that if they're on a medicine, um, and they, maybe they've been on something like Zoloft for decades and it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily make them feel better. It, it certainly doesn't make them want to kill themselves anymore, perhaps, which is not a, necessarily a bad thing, but, but at the end of the day, they don't feel quite themselves. Um, and, and they, they miss that opportunity to, to have, uh, feelings of elation and euphoria when they should be happy and, and excited about something. And they, I think likewise also probably miss out on feeling sad and depressed right. when they should, uh, you know, their dog dies or something horrendous like that. And you, you know, we are meant to have these range of emotions. And when we, right. when we take that away from someone, now we're no longer processing and integrating. Mm -hmm. So these things are largely then getting swept under the rugs and then coming off of those medications. That stuff is just sitting there waiting for you to, I, I, at least I'm positing this. I, I think a lot of those unprocessed emotions are still waiting for you. Largely. And they're causing damage while they're sitting in there. So they're causing Absolutely. increased inflammation. They're causing autoimmune genetic markers to be expressed. Mm -hmm. They're causing, you know, the, the physical, you know, what, what I always like to explain is it's our culture that separates mental health from physical health, not science. Yeah. It's, it's literally all the same. We are just big, amazing, complex machines and we don't know everything. And, you know, we're just trying to grab at what we can to balance as much as we possibly can without causing damage. Right. So this is interesting. I was looking at a study. Um, this was done in 2015. Um, and I'll, I'll try to remember the actual name of it and I'll link it uh, to the show notes. But essentially, the study was suggesting a, a theory because, because, again, when we're treating depression at least conventionally, we are basing it on the monoamine theory, which suggests that hypothetically or theoretically, serotonin in particular is what is causing most human beings to uh, uh, fall into depression-like symptoms and situations. So, so what that means, what that could look like is, is oh, uh, Tira, your brain doesn't make as much serotonin as the or not your brain necessarily, but your, your body doesn't process as much serotonin as it should. Ergo, if we give you a medication that, relatively speaking, art artificially raises your serotonin, you should feel better. Mm -hmm. um, but, but what this study was actually showing is, A, people with higher levels of serotonin are more likely to have higher risk of depression and anxiety, which is mm -hmm. flying in the face of the original theory, which was that low serotonin causes depression. And, and, and then if we medicate you with an SSRI, we are in fact... We are, in fact, going to increase the level of serotonin between our synapses. Too much. Too much. And our mm -hmm. body might respond, as it always does, to some sort of uh, al alteration to homeostasis, which is just our body's natural, uh, most, most well, our well-being state is, is homeostasis, where, where we're balanced. So, so when we take that medication, when we get, exit that homeostasis... Our body responds by either, let's say, increasing the receptors on our synapses mm -hmm. to collect, to try to get rid of that excess serotonin. And in fact, that might be when, that might be why it takes eight weeks for a SSRI 
to actually start working is because it's not it's not that the medicine is helping it's that our body is trying to reach that energy homeostasis mm-hmm. that we that we left so so this is what where I'm going with all this is that ironically when we're looking at psychedelics cannabis I think falls into this mix certainly in in terms of I, I think especially on the neuroendocrine slash immunology side of things but where psychedelics fall into play is that they are actually doing the exact opposite of what a SSRI is doing which is which is wild right so it's it's and maybe you can speak on this a little bit too because I, I certainly I'm, I'm not an expert in this by any stretch of the imagination but I, I have a lot of interest in it my my I, my understanding of it is that essentially things like psilocybin which is or psilocin which is the the chemical component um, which is which is actively hallucinogenic from the uh, magic mushroom or psilocybe mushroom um, is is acting as a serotonin agonist. So it's attaching to the receptor site like serotonin would, but it has dramatically different effects on that receptor site. So I think a lot of people originally were thinking, oh, wow, look, this is just like a SSRI. But what, what science is actually showing is like, no, 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 this couldn't be any more different. Am I, am I on you, the right you track? You are. And it's it's in, and just to clarify, I am absolutely not an expert on this either. I completed some, you know, self reading and cause I'm a total nerd. And actually, ironically, <laughs> Nico is who got me really interested in psychedelics because I was all about the endocannabinoid system. And then Nico comes in and has all these books on psychedelics. And, um, then I started to really get interested and then it, the research becomes undeniable. Like you can't, help yeah it almost pulls you in like a force yeah like, it's like a ufo you can't you can't look away like can't. once you've seen it <laughs> um and then so i'm not an expert and i you know did some training with the maps program um and then I, we're lucky enough to be associated with some folks who are involved in the phase three studies and the expanded access studies so it's pretty new now the studies mostly are on mdma um and then obviously we have ketamine available um, of course, it's being misused uh, currently, but from a harm reduction standpoint, um, you know, sometimes it's better than not using it at all. But look, you have the some of the physio- like the physiology. Yes, you have it right. But then also looking at the different types of serotonin receptors. Yeah. So where psychedelics get involved, which is absolutely amazing to me. And it really has to do with connection. And that's why the setting of psychedelics is so important and having a trusting relationship and um, you know, with, with the people that you're with is so important because you are literally at the most vulnerable state where with psychedelics, you're messing with the receptors that are really have been closed off from about the age of five. Mm. So think about when you were little and everything was possible and you could, you had nothing written in stone. Everything was malleable. The concrete was still wet. So you could draw something and then if that didn't work, you can just wipe it out and you can, you, you have a, an endless amount of opportunities of thinking how things could go. But then as you age and you start to learn things and it becomes permanent memory, you, you start to really almost tattoo routes of thought mm-hmm. into your brain and it, it becomes permanent and then you dig it where it becomes a river, you know, and then it, it gets wider and wider and wider and the bluffs get taller and taller and taller. And that's where your thought process is. And those things are, are affected by 
experiences in life. They're affected by genetics. They're affected by um, epigenetics. So the, the environment on your gene code, um, chemicals and things like that. And it's really hard to reroute those thought processes. And what psychedelics is doing, it's like taking an Etch-a-Sketch and being able to <laughs> shake it. Yeah. You know, you're like, you, you clear it out. You, you, mm-hmm. you, you make a clean slate in the brain. You don't lose thought. You gain the ability to think without interruption. You lose barriers to thought. Mm-hmm. So it's affecting that, that serotonin 2 receptor that has been dormant and you lose your imagination and your ability to think outside the box. And it allows you to go back in there and really just have a more um, open 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 ears it's like opening your brain and opening your ears to other ways of um you know helping and and it's it's i'm so excited i've not yet been able to experience it and i can't wait to do so i'm just really picky about how i'm going to do it and yeah and being in healthcare and, and and just being who i am i don't trust healthcare providers and I don't trust. (laughs) So it's, um, Tia and I are essentially waiting for us to each be credentialed enough theoretically to give each other a federally illegal drug. Um, because it's, I'm not good at being vulnerable. So Mm -hmm. the thought of being that vulnerable is, is scary and exciting at the same time. But the thought of being able to open up your mind and get rid of roadblocks, um, get rid of perceptions that are created not actually, you know, like they're, they're right. created based upon inaccurate information. Yeah. Yeah. What, what you're describing to, to jut in here, um, everybody's is, is that, that, that etch a sketch that she perfectly made an analogy to is, is something that they're calling right now, at least in the research is called the default mode network. Yeah. So, so think of your brain as like a, a thermostat in your house. If you set it to be, you know, 70 degrees, uh, automatically, right? That's the default mode of the thermostat. Well, our brain has that exact same process where, where we are almost always, generally speaking, our entire day is living in this default mode network, which means your habits, your behaviors, and your thoughts all process through, like Tierra was perfectly describing, like a river um, that you cannot just put a dam in front of and, and scoot around. It's, it's why you don't brush your teeth with your non-dominant hand typically, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or, or if you are used to going on a walk, you almost always go the certain route and path. And, and there's, there, there, and those are just, uh, to be honest, very obvious things that we could talk about. There's probably even things that are far deeper psychologically speaking that we, we couldn't even fathom to understand. And I think a lot of that are those traumas and emotions and, and things that we've, we've either, you know, chosen not to process to some degree and or not recognize that we haven't had the chance to process. So one of the things, you know, a lot of times people, again, always want to act like everything's a silver bullet. Um, and, mm-hmm. and this is where I think psychedelics get get a bad rap in, in the sense that certainly pharmacology, because I'm somewhat pessimistic about it, is going to find a way to to mishandle this whole thing and, and oh yeah but but so there you are so yeah. so you know this i mean you've done holotropic breath work yeah. um you, we, we and tira was pointing this out we have an endogenous endocannabinoid system well we have endogenous dmt yeah. right which is a, which is a classic psychedelic um and 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 this is something that we make every single day and we can actually access 
pretty readily through some some very uh, unconventional breathwork techniques that have been around for thousands of years. Um, and, and, and similarly, we see very positive aspects coming from EMDR therapy, which is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing, um, which is essentially having someone, let's say you get into a really bad car accident. Um, and, and that was a really, really, uh, uh, that was a strong flight or fight response for you in that moment, your brain literally freezes and, and you are unable to process those emotions. That that's where we see people in the state of shock. Right. So, so then three weeks later, all of a sudden you get back in the car and you get out on the road and you have your first panic attack. And you can't really fathom where that came from. I mean, you know, you were in a bad car accident, but it felt so out of the blue. And, and why is this happening? I didn't feel afraid getting into the car. Um, and this is, I think, exactly where we're seeing this like deep level of what we would consider a trauma or, 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 a, or a maladaptation in our brain. And so EMDR therapy is essentially having you reprocess those emotions in a safe environment by actively looking laterally with your eyeballs. So looking to the left, looking to the right, looking to the left, looking to the right. And a therapist is sitting in front of you and, and he or she is, is having you go through these emotions. And at what point were you very terrified? And, and do you remember any of these things? And so anyways, it, it is literally on a physiological aspect, telling your body everything's safe. I'm okay. I'm able to move my eyes around, which means that I feel comfortable and I'm scanning my surroundings. At least this is the theory behind it. And, and, and in a way, we're seeing a very, very, very mild interpretation of, of what I think psilocybin and LSD and MDMA do so well is they completely take away that barrier. Um, like you so eloquently put, I mean, it, it is literally dissolving your ego, <laughs> dissolving that default mode network, that hard wiring and allowing you to just explode essentially into thoughts and emotions and, and things that you haven't thought of in ages and, and people have mystical experiences is, is certainly, I think, one of the the most interesting parts of the psychedelics, because um, certainly we could microdose and avoid all of those things. But I'd argue that people who, <laughs> Tara's shaking her head like, what a moron, what moron would do that? <laughs> no, it is really good. <laughs> just, just Silicon Valley losers. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, the, the, you know, the, the, I think the, again, and Tara's agreeing with me here, the most interesting thing is the, is that mystical divine spiritual experience that we see most people having in these um, very scientific rigorous studies. Um, and they're almost unexplainable. Um, all we know of is that if you are one of the people, which is it is the majority typically that has one of those mystical divine experiences, you are you have like a some 80 to 90 percent chance of never experiencing depression or anxiety again. Is that, is that right? So far, I mean, we don't know about never again. What we do know is like in the studies with like Johns Hopkins and even Yale, um, these people, it's been some of them years and they might have to come back for like, or that's a good time to microdose. Right. But literally like a, just to make it simple, it's literally just smacking it out of you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like it's, it's, it's almost like when they say a light bulb comes on or it, it's like that. It's like, oh. Right. Well, it's really this, and it's really objectifying a situation in a manner that allows you to take control of the situation again, because the lack of ability of control is what causes a lot of that trauma response. The lack of control over the situation, the lack of ability to protect yourself or someone else, the perceived lack of ability. Um, 
to get out. And that's your brain encodes. So what your brain is meant to do is if if something interferes with your ability, just physiologically, if something is going to interfere with your ability to procreate or your your ability to sustain life, your brain will encode that memory so you don't do it again. So you touch a hot stove when you're little once. And then your brain encodes that memory like, nope, that is not going to help us sustain life. You know, and (laughs) this is literally, you cannot learn how to ride a bike without falling. That's literally how you learn how to ride a bike is by falling because your brain's like, nope, you better keep balance or you're going to fall. And that's really not good, Mm -hmm. you know, to to fall on a bike, you know, but that's not good for us. So um, it's, it's, it's learning. So your brain learns, but when something happens, that's so kind of, um, we're not programmed for, so to speak. It's, I, I compare it to spilling coffee on your computer, you know, spilling, yeah. it's like, well, it's not really programmed for that. So you're going to get some glitches. Now your brain co- kind of goes into overdrive and it's like encode, 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 almost like a scar on the brain. Mm-hmm. And cannabis really does help with, with the feelings of that. And it, and it can help with the thought, with the processing of the information, but nothing like what we're seeing in psychedelics. Mm-hmm. Literally these people don't even qualify under, you know, our diagnostic manual as having PTSD or even depression or anxiety. And some of them do come back and they'll get, you know, like ongoing treatments, right? you know, sporadically. But what we're seeing, even in like the, the so far legal psychedelics, like ketamine, which isn't my favorite, but it's what's available. Right. Academy infusion for somebody who's actively suicidal. Literally, it's like, boom. So you're talking about saving a life by reset that. Like, you need to do something now to help this person. Or looking at um, very, very, you know, resistant depression where you might not be suicidal, but you just really, life is, you're not even wanting to enjoy anything or experience anything or learn anything. Right. And so it, it becomes a really you know, sad existence for some people um, and being able to open their, giving the, empowering them to open their minds at their own pace and, and, and looking at, you know, what that can do, but then also look at the studies themselves, even from accredited organizations who typically go out of their way to put down the um, abilities uh, or, or the, the potential with certain cannabinoids they can't deny it anymore either. They're just like, this is, this is nuts. You know, yeah. Harvard has a whole psychedelic society. I mean, every, the, the, the people are like, well, you can't deny it. So yeah, you're talking about mystical experiences and people um, meeting with their ancestors or you literally, you are, it's about your being, not necessarily about your body. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you're getting in touch with you. Like, cause I always try to explain to people we are, souls with bodies not bodies with souls yeah so. yeah that, I, I i try to i try to vocalize this or verbalize it at least to my to my patients in, in the sense that um i i think generally speaking and i again I, I recognize that i'm generalizing here quite a bit but most people suffering from depression and anxiety i think to some great degree have a strong divorce from their sense of self right and 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 their connection to nature and when i say that i think what people think is like i'm supposed to be holding crystals and yeah like yeah sunbathing and connection to the universe it's all of us it's all of us yeah so so and again that's what psychedelics do so well and this is why you would never see a 
a four or five year old with major depressive disorder. I mean, generally speaking, they're generally quite happy. Um, however, they, they have these really dramatic range of emotions because they don't have that fault network. It's not solidified. So, so if they have a, a piece of gravel in their shoe and they're stepping on it, and it might be literally the first time they've ever experienced that, that might push them into a horrible tantrum. <laughs> Right. Where for you and I, it would be like, oh, that's annoying. Take off my shoe, dump it out, move on. We, we've been there a thousand times. But to a five-year-old, it, it, every single moment of their day could be a a almost multitude. A, it, it, it's, it's almost like an um, inf- infinite amount of things, new things happening to them every single day. That's and why they need naps. That's why they need naps. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's, so, it's so amazing to think about that. So in fact, you know, I think a lot of, a lot of the the studies that I've seen, at least visualized, and some of the, some of these studies with uh, with patients on MDMA, especially, have been recorded. Um, is watching people literally revert back to what almost is like a childlike state, mm-hmm. um, where where a they experience these unbelievable emotions, and it, it seems odd to us if you're if you're just watching it. Um, I mean, we're seeing full grown men with beards who served three tours in Iraq break down in tears over over the fact that they love everybody you know like it's it, it, and it's odd it really is strange um because it's it's clearly not something they could access readily on their own right now i think with some some significant amount of practice with, with breath work and different things I, I think there's absolutely a way everybody generally speaking probably could but but again psychedelics are breaking down that barrier mm-hmm. um so yeah anyways i i think that's interesting well, one of the things you know i i think I kind of wanted to, I mean, this is a little bit off tangent, but, you know, there's this, there's this sense and, and Tira and I were kind of poking fun at this a little bit just a, a, before we started, um, is this idea that, that some people are neurodivergent <laughs> and this is like a, <laughs> this is like a ridiculously new term and I, I, I'm not, I'm not necessarily horridly opposed to it. Um, I like to call it gifted. Yeah, yeah. I think that was the ni- I think that was the 1990s uh, yeah. term for neurodivergent. Yeah. He's gifted. He's gifted. Yeah, he's just really smart. Um, but anyways, I, I, you know, one of the things that's troubling me in the mental health world um, is this sudden emergence of of language that that in some ways I think is it, it, I think it's rooted in some sense of compassion and then overblown obscenely in clinical practice. I think it's a form of gaslighting. Honestly. It's it's gaslighting because anybody who has free thought or anybody who thinks outside the box or at least is open, truly open to learning. Not I have my set opinions, I'm gonna go in and you have to prove me wrong, but literally open to the idea that Maybe all of us don't know everything and there's a, there's a better answer out there. So always being open to doing better or learning more and building upon, but also sometimes tearing down a previous thought and rebuilding your thought. I mean, there's been many times where I have been from, from the information that I have, this is what I think, Mm -hmm. but I'm always open to and actually welcome People to say, well, actually, you didn't think about it from this side mm-hmm. or actually from this side, this is a different set of facts. Because then when you include another variable 
So if I have a bowl of facts in front of me and I make a decision based upon that set, that bowl of facts, well, then somebody comes and throws in another variable. If I have a bowl of cereal in front of me, it's dry cereal, but then somebody came and threw milk in it. There's a whole different situation. Right. You know, you have to handle it differently. We're talking about timing. We're talking about, you know. Yeah, you don't <laughs> like, want to get soggy. Yeah, yeah sure. I mean, but, but that's what I'm saying. It's like, so you always have to be open to somebody else introducing another fact that could alter your decision on something or alter your thought on something or, or your your value on, onto something. And there's doesn't seem to be many people like that anymore. So it's almost like that's a whole subset of people because you typically this, this quote neurodivergent or gifted, you feel too much. You're too much. You feel too much. You say too much. You're, you're awkward in social situations. And really it's just a matter of trying to constantly connect with everything and everyone around you, not to feed your ego, but just because you genuinely want to know and you're genuinely interested in that thing or that person or that piece of information because you want that connection, mm-hmm. it, you know, so you, it, it's, it's become so rare because we're told what to think and we're told how to feel and we're told what to fight about. And we're, you know, it, it's become so rare that literally this, this term gaslighting of neurodivergent means you 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 are not like everyone else, which I guess I'll take as a compliment. Sure. You know, yeah. basically you put you want more information because you want inf- you're like a a computer sponge that wants more information so you can figure out and put. I'm, I'm just a big ball of algorithms. Mm-hmm. This plus this equals this, but if this is added, then I wonder if this can happen. And but apparently that way of thinking and that that hunger, that desire to actually learn how or why is so much different than today what seems like we just want to know what to regurgitate. Yeah. My, my I guess my, you know, I, I don't necessarily have anything wrong with divergent, nor do I have, did I have a problem with people saying I'm gifted or something. I don't know. I, I understand where it comes in as, as being necessary. I think, I think what it can do is, is, you know, in a positive sense, it's giving some people a, a opportunity to, recognize that that they have some differences there's others people that feel this way too. sure sure i think that's <laughs> yeah. i think that's valuable that's good. i, I yeah. don't think that's not valuable but the other thing i think and i think you can appreciate this especially as as i can is is you and i have seen a, a variety of different people from all walks of life and and what i tend to notice is when a patient tells me they're dealing with something really pathological like ocd um, and I'm talking severe, uh, uh, pathology where, where, you know, they're literally bleeding from their hands because they wash them so frequently throughout the day, maybe hundreds of times throughout the day. Um, you know, and, and in my head, I, I, it's difficult for me to connect to that. Um, and yet, and yet I notice more now in my life situations where, where I'll do something in a very almost religious pattern. And it's not, it's not pathological in the sense that, uh, you know, my hands aren't bleeding or my skin's not falling off my hands, which is a horrendous thing. But, but it is, it is close enough for me to recognize it wouldn't take too much more stress in my life or, or certain things to go wrong in my biology for me to access a point in which this could be 
may be considered pathological. Mm-hmm. What I what I guess I'm saying is is that you know neurodivergent in and of itself it, it, it it's it's almost too vague. Um, you know, it's like well, what are we talking about? Are we talking about people who have have autism? What kind of autism? Because there are it's a spectrum. It's a spectrum. It's a sure, sure. So, so, but, but then who falls in that spectrum? That's the problem. Are you going to exclude spend, someone? No, that's because, a that's a thing. That's the problem. Right, is we right. spend all of our time trying to put a check box next to everyone. Right. We're losing the ability to understand. We're ninety nine percent the same. Mm-hmm. And so we're losing that connected just as a human, just as an animal, just as a yes. as a part of this place mm-hmm. called Earth. You know, I mean, just a part of that. We're losing that ability to – we're so busy looking for our differences mm-hmm. that we're losing the ability to see what we have the same. And you can do both. You can appreciate the differences. Of course. And celebrate the differences. And – but you can do it without trying. And that's the thing is I think people are trying too hard to force something that isn't natural when if you just leave it alone, things will happen organically yeah. in their own time. I and mean, look at look at our office, you know, at Lotus. There wasn't right. one of us that was anything alike. Right. <laughs> it right. looked like it was set up that way. Yeah. Because it's like, well, what do you do? We had different ages, different races, different religions, different thoughts, mm-hmm. different... And it was just organic, and that's because I think it, what we had in common was our appreciation of understanding that diversification of your portfolio. Right. Naturally, you were interested in people that are similar, but also have like something way different. Right. Because that makes us stronger. Right. And it it wasn't meant to be that way. I didn't knock on your door. You knocked on mine, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I just naturally was like, oh, this guy's great. And he's got so much to teach. Yeah. And and I love learning from people that are learning something different. Yeah. And getting different perspectives. And I think that if you were spending too much time trying to label and, and put things on, I don't know what neurodivergent is. And, and a, give, a score is gifted. You know, like you have a score, which I don't understand because both of my sons took the same gifted test. We just moved. And... To get into the gifted program, they have to test you, right? Right. One of my sons who, like, I get that he's gifted, but he, he also, like, forgets to wear pants and, right. you know, like, right. <laughs> like he's, yeah, you know, yeah like, gifted how? Yeah, like, but I mean, he can, but he's musically gifted and mathematically gifted, like, he's he's able to put pieces together that are, are so abstract, but you wouldn't know it. Sure. And then, but he's calm about it. And then he tested way above, mm-hmm. you know, he's shoe in, he got right in. Well, then his older brother, who was very, um, more of a high achiever, just like, mm-hmm. you know, very mathematical. He was doing triple multiplication at four years old off the top of his head. Yeah, it scared me actually. Um, but he's like highly anxious about it. And and he didn't, but he got so anxious. He didn't make the score. His IQ was only 129. So he's not allowed to go into the gifted <laughs> class. Right. And I'm like, but labeling that made i could see how it made him feel like oh well maybe i'm not yeah i'm not special i'm in not this way or smart in that way mm-hmm. so maybe i should just dumb myself down and mm-hmm. 
you know, what's the point? Because I'm not, and I'm like, so a subjective score of whoever the counselor was that day that has a two week online certificate. I mean, no offense, whoever (laughs) did the testing, but you know, I'm just saying like the point is, is it's hard when you're putting labels on people like that, those labels can stick and they actually sometimes can cause more damage. Yeah. I I, I completely agree. And and this is where, you know, for me, you know, you, you and I, thankfully, I think, unfortunately we, won't find any differences within our ch- each other's thought patterns. Luckily, I think in a good way, but um, you know, in, in mental health, you know, it, it, it felt like within the last, honestly, within the last five years, um, new language and, and new um, almost in a way, cultural mandates have, have been, have been forced upon us in a way um, that was as inorganic as possible. So, yeah. so, you know, I think, I think something we could, we could really look at, and I like to use this comparison, um, and I'm not using this word facetiously at all. The word retarded was popularly used for decades, both as, both as a medical term that doctors would use. The definition. The definition of, of, of retarded, of retarded yeah. which is a, it's still a real thing. Didn't just go away, um, but it was also used facetiously ag- against people to make fun or make light of someone being a moron, right? Mm-hmm. So, so none of us use this word anymore. Essentially, some of us do in closed spaces. I do. I know I do. I, I can honestly say that I do. I, but, but, but what I, I say it. What, what I'm saying is, what I'm saying is, there there, there was a clear shift. Oh yeah, and, and it wasn't. I, I never felt like it was a very strong mandate from the government or 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 these huge entities saying we should really stop saying this. I, I, it felt a little more, a, a little more calm and a little more natural, at least from 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 what I'm seeing versus versus. Um, someone wanting to be called neurodivergent or, and I'll get into this part, wanting to be called him when she's a her or vice versa, right? We, we started having this, these, these really, really significant language changes and it, and the annoying thing was that it wasn't, it, at least, at least from my opinion, it wasn't based in any strict sense of evidence-based biology versus versus the word retarded is a literal term, term yeah. right? And a literal definition. And we can apply that across many domains and, and always come back to, yes, that is an appropriate way to define a particular individual's, uh, you know, unfortunate mental capabilities, right? So, so what I'm saying is like, I, I started getting frustrated when, you know, and I, I, I posed this question this way, and maybe you can answer this in, in, in some way, but if a schizophrenic patient comes to me and, and they are not doing anything necessarily harmful, in fact, they're very intelligent and they're doing quite well, but they tell me that the FBI is after them, and in fact, the, don't look now, but they're watching us from the window outside. I would not affirm that statement. 
meaning I would not say, yes, they are. In fact, let's move to another room so that they can't hear us or see us. Right? Like, I don't, I don't buy into their, their I narrative. I would go look. <laughs> <laughs> well, know, yeah, I have a very strong distrust. Well, if you and I are paranoid. So, yeah, that's a I bad example. Par- well, that's the thing. <laughs> Even calling saying that it's paranoid to think that the government could be watching you. Seriously? Is it? Sure. Like, sure. really? Is sure. it? Like, we've already proven that everything is watched. Everybody's on stage, right? Yeah. So, now, if you look at somebody who ha- is having some sort of, of delusional thought process... I am very objective. I get in trouble all the time for being too objective when it comes to certain things. So yeah. if they're saying the government's out, I'm like, who? Show me. Right. All that person is and that person is. And honestly, until I can disprove it, I'm like, I would probably address it as, yes, that's the FBI. Or I wouldn't say, like, yes, that's the FBI. I would say, okay, so if you're not feeling safe in this room, let's, is there a better place that you would feel more safe to talk? Sure, sure. Because, like, because the fact of the matter is they don't feel safe to talk. Right. In that room. Right. So I'm not going to fix their schizophrenia that day. No. Well, but, let's put it this way. You're, you're neither really, you're neither really affirming or denying. No. Correct. And, and this is what I mean by this. Because that's insulting. Exactly. So, so, um, and I, I think a therapist would probably even have a better standing in this situation in particular is that, you know, in mental health, especially, we're never supposed to project no. Our, you know, right? Like you and I, uh, as as fans of cannabis, have a healthy, uh, <laughs> a healthy yeah, like paranoia I, against. And I'll even government. tell people, just so you know, I'm biased on this particular subject, but that's right. why I objectified it with the pathophysiology and pharmacokinetics. Yes, exactly, exactly. So, so here he, herein lies the rub. I think is that is that you and I are are well versed in the the idea of. You know, certainly we're not going to insult them and be like, you're a crazy person. The FBI is not after you. What are you, nuts? Neither are we going to say everything's fine. Just sit down, relax. No. Right? It's it's neither affirming or denying. It's it's in fact trying to mitigate whatever that stressor is and, and allowing that patient to be in the best position possible. Um, so the analogy I'm hopefully trying to make here, and hopefully it's a decent one, is if a patient comes to me and they are, you know, and again, we can, we can get into the weeds here quite a bit, but if they're a biological male and they're telling me they want to be considered a biological female, the, the idea at least being touted right now, and most, almost every single major medical establishment is that that gender affirmation is our duty as practitioners medical or, or therapy alike to 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 say yes in fact you are here are ways in which we can help you get whatever puberty blockers hormone therapy you know the list goes on and on you know my concern is that um you know and I, I, i'm not sure where things really stand and I'm, I'm not an expert on this subject at all but you know it's like gender dysphorias in the dsm-5 which which Ergo means that it is a mental health condition and not that the DSM-5 is my favorite book by any stretch of the imagination. I actually freaking hate it. But, you know, we we could all recognize that certainly there are certain individuals who fall into these relative categories and and we have to do something about that. This is where depression and anxiety and, and schizophrenia can, you know, it can be helpful to have some of these guidelines. And so the DSM-5 is is 
recognizing it as a mental health problem. And, and yet we have scientists on the other side of things saying, no, 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 this is, this is far from a, necessarily a mental health problem. This is actually, there is no gender, in fact, and, and there's really not really such a thing as sex. Uh, it can be actually quite fluid and, you know, so on and so forth. So, you know, my question isn't, you know, again, I, I, I don't, I have no real fight in this game. I, I don't really have a, a problem with, you know, if, if given reasonable, legitimate evidence that, that that was possible, that, that I would be okay. Sure. That's fine. I mean, I've been wrong before about many of things and I, I enjoy learning. So that's not a problem. So this is exactly where I'm coming from is, is I, I don't feel like I've been presented any decent evidence on this stuff at all. And, and in fact, I don't think any of us could, could say that there's any long-term evidence of this being effective at all anyways. So, so what are we doing here? I guess, is it the same as, again, I think people get offended by, by me saying that a person who is transgender has a mental health disorder and, and comparing them to a schizophrenic would be almost blasphemous. But, but is it, is it so outrageously different or, or not? I don't know. Well, that's the thing is, is you're sitting here saying, I don't know. I think the problem is, is when you even ask the question, you're attacked. Yeah. That's the problem that I have is I genuinely question everything, not always from distrust, but of curiosity. Mm-hmm. So it's not even about the gender issue, gender identity type of an issue. And is it is it this type of a problem or is it just a thing? Is it, you know, like, right. is it just what it is? And, and, you know, just let it be. It's, it's not that the problem that I have is us as providers, we need to be free to ask whatever the hell question we need to ask to clarify what we need to do to help people. Because in my heart of hearts and in your heart of hearts, we want to help people be the best that they can be. Mm-hmm. And what that means is that we're going to have to learn a lot. But just by questioning and saying, okay, so what evidence do we have that says one way or another, you literally could be smacked down and canceled, basically. Because, Nico, that must mean that you hate LGBTQRS, you know, whatever (laughs) that, that people are, when in actuality, I know that that couldn't be further from the truth. Right. I need to understand, objectively speaking, from a pathophysiological standpoint, an epidemiological standpoint, What are the implications of giving these drugs to these people just the same as I need to understand what are the implications of giving any drug to any person for anything? And at least having the freedom to say, I don't know what this is going to do in 20 years. I don't know what 30 years of this does. I don't know what taking out your organs at this young age or or adding this surgery or doing this because it's not like. These are not very serious changes in the body. I mean, drugs have side effects. Surgeries have side effects. Right. You have a genetic code that could be flipped on, not because you're, you're, you know, um, ex- exploring a different, you know, sex or, or identifying with a different sex, but flipped on because you're under anesthesia and getting cut. Right. So the, the inability to have a freedom to ask and continue to study and explore and then have an opinion. Mm-hmm. Is what scares me the most, just like with everything that's going on with different laws and different mandates and different. And I'm like, just me asking a question caused huge rifts. Right. Oh, you just must want people to die. Right. So you asking a question 
of, you know, about transgenders. And, and you know, my, my nephew is, is transgender and he, he's right. like the smartest man ever. Sure. Um, you know, like, and he's amazingly smart, I guess, neurodivergent, excuse me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, what I do know is what I saw is him become happy. That's what I yeah, know. Sure. Right. And as long as whoever, you know, his doctor is said, I don't know everything and we don't know what this could cause. And then that person, you know, my nephew was able to make an educated decision on I'm willing to risk right. whatever it takes right. for me to to be. This is my goal and I'm willing to cut off whatever. I'm willing to sure. take this gamble because this right now is not working. I am not a female. I am not happy in my skin. Right. I'm not happy in this. I I want to be what my brain says that I am or what my sure my soul says that I am right. Mm. Cause remember where this is just body, sure. whatever. So there's that whole thing. But what I'm seeing now is the inability for us to even ask questions or even play devil's advocate. Sure. And if you even ask a question against what you're told or what the woke population says, we're supposed to feel you need to shut up and sit back and God forbid you're not in any of these subcategories, if, you know, I'm, you know, technically my DNA, you right. know, says, right. you know, I'm, you know, native and, and 5%, you know, Jew and right. then a whole bunch of Irish. Are you like Elizabeth Warren native or are you yeah. more than that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I guess, well, that's the thing is like, if you understand genetics, actually what she said was probably true because sure. the yeah. way that genes work, you can be only quote 2% and only have two. Right. Two or three people behind yeah, you. I'm totally teasing. No, you, my <laughs> grandfather, but my last born was like 1850, it says. Yeah. But yeah. either way, regardless, um, the well, then we have to say, okay, so what percentage of this population do you need to be in order to have a voice? Right. So I'm only 5% something else, and then the rest of me is Irish, which if anybody knows the history of the United States, after we stole the land from somebody else... <laughs> Um, the Irish were the, really, they hated us worse than the the Chinese. I mean, it's, so, I mean, it's, but it's, but because of the way I look, I'm supposed to sit down and shut up and God forbid if I actually was a male. Right. Now, if I identified as a male, I'm allowed to come to the table and have a voice. Sure. But because I was biologically a female and I identify as a female and I've got the blonde, blue, Aryan nation look. Right. I'm not allowed to speak on anything, even though my intention is out of pure curiosity. So what we've done is allowed, you know, the government or whomever mm-hmm. to silence us all. Right. At the protection. And what well, the guise of the protection of something else when it's not the, the intent is to make you shut up and right. to make you not curious. Or even if you are curious to make you too scared to ask. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I literally asked about genetic mutations of certain gene codes with the vaccine. It was like, oh, you're an anti-vaxxer. And I'm like, hold the front door. I'm just asking if there's a possibility that this genetic mutation is associated with this particular clotting disorder. And I'll be damned if I wasn't actually correct two Mm -hmm. years later. Mm -hmm. But it was just nobody. And it's dangerous to not be allowed to ask. Yeah. Well, I I see the same thing. And I mean, I'm not, again, I'm not trying to compare things so so strictly but I, I mean i see the same thing with with treating people with depression um you know we were told depression was low serotonin the drug of choice was ssris and and and, and the past 30 years of, of research has has 
by and large shown that that theory does not even hold water at this point. Right. So everybody's on drugs in the U.S. and everybody feels like shit. So right. that's obviously not right. working. Right. And and so so what I'm afraid of also with with the uh, transgender community at large is 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 are we looking at this problem a incorrectly? Um. B, do we even do we even really care to understand? Because there's this other there's this other problem too that concerns me quite a bit is is that it's almost that people are afraid to even look for the root cause of this stuff because now we're saying that because they're saying it's a problem. It's How a dare problem. You say How it's a dare problem. I? Is homosexuality a problem? How dare you? No. You know. So 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 and. It's an implicate, but there are implications to everything. I just imp- want to know the implications. Exactly, That's it. exactly, and and <laughs> and do those implications, you know, does the end justify the means? I guess in some weird way, um, you know. But 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 I can't help but feel curious about. Um, I mean, how many people know that testosterone levels have declined almost fifty percent in the population at large since the nineteen sixties? Essentially, we're not allowed to talk about. We're not allowed that. to talk about that. How? How does that influence in utero? Because it's not just men. This is also no, for you women too. You have epigenetics. Too. You have epigenetics, and and so how much testosterone coursing through each individual uh, uh, mother, uh, you know, produces X, Y, or Z? I mean, there's just there's that's just one drop in the bucket of implications towards transgender. And and here's here's the rub too is that um, you know, you you have a transgender nephew. I I have quite a few transgender patients whom I love mm-hmm. and I, I, I appreciate taking care of quite quite a lot. I see them suffer extraordinarily so. And and I'm curious how much of that we, we talked about this, you know, the people who I think suffer the most mentally speaking, um, not that they don't suffer physically also, but but mentally speaking, seem to have this divorce from self and nature at large. And my concern is, historically speaking, we can go back through the age of time, the beginning of time, and recognize that that individuals who divorce themselves from nature, again, nature with a big N here, we see a dramatic shift in in neurology, in, in immunology. I mean, I mean, this is this can be, uh, you know. You know, if, if anybody eats a, a vegan diet, again, I don't have any problem with that inherently, but there are radical implications to doing such a thing. And and, and historically speaking, there's never been a, a tribe in our society that has not consumed animal foods, mm-hmm. right? I mean, even, even you know, people are, what about, you know, you know Indians and stuff? Well, they... they they drink milk and, and you know, anyways, I, what I'm saying is when we start acting as though we are so separate from nature itself, I think we start seeing dramatic changes in our biology and our, even, even our spirituality. You have to think it, like that's actually documented. It's not, sure. It's a real thing. So, so again, you're like, what the hell does this have to do with <laughs> transgender people? I mean, what, what I'm saying here is, is again, you know, I, I recognize that that this is a thing. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not saying this is some make believe thing that all of a sudden is new, but but rather that you know clearly we've something is going awry here, and and I I, I, I make this equivalent to autism. 
autism rates are skyrocketing. It's yeah, but like, is it that we're testing for more or is it that it's actually happening more? And that's a, the thing is we don't know. It's a good question. I mean, I, I would at least argue that we, we, I, we certainly didn't see as many autistic people in nursing homes back in the, you know what I mean? I, like a lot of that's nutrition uh, and eating uh, even in the meat that right. you want, like, or that, it's, that people eat. Like I don't eat four legged animals, but I'm a hypocrite. I eat chicken right. and fish. Yeah. And, but I mean, that's, even in that situation, it's also tainted. And most of the food in the United States of America is actually illegal in most other countries. Right. So I think it's messing with a lot of us. It's, it's, it's the reason that, you know, people are depressed and people can't, not, people can't, like, it, it's rare these days to even be able to sit into a room of people with thought or passion for thought. Right. Or, and so we're losing that ability while also genetically really screwing up our ability, I think, to to feel connected, like you said, yeah. to nature. But I think that that's, I don't know, personally, I think it's purposeful because yeah. it, it, it takes away empowerment. It takes away your empowerment to be self-sustainable. And so who knows what the hell is happening? And that's just saying, you're, you just want to know from an epigenetic level, do, okay, all of these diet factors and chemical factors and the, the fact that in, in the correlation of the testosterone levels with this and that and the the testosterone levels of the mother with or the reaction to the testosterone, you just want to know like why there seems to be a higher amount of these things happening. Now, correlation is not causation. Right. And so you're even acknowledging, okay, I know it, it's not causation, but I'm seeing some connections here. Can somebody explain to me or explain why it's not a connection and yes. why it's just a coincidence. The problem is, is you even asking that makes it sound like you're transphobic. Right. Here's, here's a really great example. This is something that this literally happened to me. Um, I was reading a study on autism, looking specifically for, for, for some sort of epidemiological, epigenetic, uh, you know, something in the water here. What, what's, why is, why are, why is autism increasing so dramatically? Was it was a it lack that, of anandamide? I think we took cannabis out of our a diet. Huge portion of that. Huge portion took, of that. And and, yeah. and, and 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 I mean, okay, let's just say we're testing more often. What whatever it is. So this study essentially was looking at it was a small study, but really good study. Um, it took uh, autistic individuals and they were scored on an evaluation, a very popular uh, evaluation for autism, and they scored very, very high, severely autistic individuals. Um, and they were given a fecal microbiota transplant, which mm -hmm. for people who don't understand what I'm talking about, it's taking someone else's healthy poop and putting it in your colon, mm -hmm. your unhealthy colon, essentially. And then that microbiome of bacteria and fungi and protozoans, whatever else is in there. It's taking healthy soil and replacing yes, your, it, putting healthy soil into your pot. That's exactly. There was like an 80% improvement in those autistic individuals. And in fact, those who scored in that, that, that high percentage did not meet criteria for autism anymore. So, yeah. so, so cool, right? Like, and you're whoa, not saying there's anything wrong with autistic people. No, of course like not. That's what I say. You're just wondering, is there a connection to something that we can control? Right. So I, I posted this article on Facebook, which is a, apparently a big mistake. I, I thought people would be, no. if, if anything, people will cheer about this. This is a, this is a, an amazing Facebook finding. Facebook already told them what to think yeah. and you're well, not going to get around that. Well, I had an individual reach out to me basically suggesting that he is, he's neurodivergent and he's on the autism spectrum 
which by the way, I, I think many people are. Most, yeah. yeah. So anyways, that, that alone was okay. And, and he was suggesting that, um, the, the evaluations that that study used were, were inadequate and in fact, insulting to people with autism because they're so poor. Um, by the way, the study was done at John Hopkins, I think. I mean, it was a rigorous study. It was published in JAMA, I think. So it wasn't like this, or it was published in Nature, like one of the, the most prolific scientific journals alive to date. And th- this individual was was essentially saying that I don't care about people with autism. Um, the, the, you know, there's no even reason to treat people with autism because they are who they are, and and you're just trying to take away who they are. And, and I, I just was. So then don't treat anybody with anything because they are who they are. They are who they are with tumors. They are who they are with depression. They are who they are with, you know, bipolar. They are who they are. I mean, yes and no. So then I guess don't get treated if you don't want to. But there are some people who would like to explore their potential. Yes. Because typically speaking, autistic people are way smarter, you know. Of course. Like way more able to complete algorithms and, and, and put puzzles together, which is really what life, that's how you learn is putting puzzles together. Right. So allowing, you know, allowing them to actually utilize that capacity by allowing their brain to be free from the toxins that are preventing that synapse from occurring or preventing that message from crossing that that's not taking away from them. It's making them them without the crap, literally. Right, right. I mean, this is this is where, where I found it. I mean, hilariously, because first of all, I know this individual quite well. Um, and and if you if you actually talked with him, you would you would never consider that he was even close to being mildly autistic. But the problem is, is that you and I have seen what I would call very legitimate autistic individuals who have severe regressions. And their ability to communicate, um, their ability to empathize. Um, some of them can be very aggressive, and it's not that it's because not their they fault can't. because they, all of the messages are yes, coming in all exactly. at the same time. So you and I can sit here and we can have this conversation. And I know there's traffic going on outside, and I can hear a couple people mm-hmm. walking down the hallway. We can block that out. Right. We've even been trained now to block screaming children out. Right. 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 So you you can train to focus your focus your brain like a camera, like a camera lens, and pull it in and out. Mm-hmm. If you, people with autism don't have that, everything's coming at you at the exact same speed. So of course, you know tags. I can't handle smells. I can't handle tags. I can't handle um, right. any like certain things. Like it's overwhelming to me because there's something that is blocking my ability to differentiate right. and to compartmentalize. Mm-hmm. So that's all that that is. And some people, it's so bad. They have nothing differentiating. Right. They have nothing that's allowing them to compartmentalize. So it's like, you know, a, a plate and, and you put a bunch of different liquids on the plate and you're expecting it not to mix. Right. That's all. And it's very frustrating because it's because then the messages get messed up or they're not taking as intended. So it's not even that autistic. I don't believe that autistic people have a lack of empathy. No, they don't. I, th- I think that they they have a lack of the they're just you have to think of, of your hierarchy. They're just trying to get a message. Right. That's Correct. clear. So you can't really get picky because they didn't pick up on the way your leg was crossed and the way it was shaking. Right. They're just trying to get the words as much as they can. And so it does get overwhelming and frustrating. And and think about it when we're frustrated and we feel too much, you can become quote violent, but I don't think that anybody 
autistic people are any more innately violent than anybody else. No, no, no. And it's yeah. uh, this is exactly my point. L- literally, none of these things are inherently their fault, right? I mean, I mean. No, you're just trying to figure out if is there a way to right. make it better. Right. I, I, I can't imagine there's a there's a ten year old autistic boy, severely autistic boy out there who who. You know, after doing something like a fecal microbiota transplant, wouldn't then give his mom the first hug she's ever received, potentially. Yeah. And and that that connection between the two of them would be so blissful. Like it, you're clearing it, paths. That's you're all you're trying paths. to do. And, and and if that for some reason, if that patient didn't want to be treated, or that mother for some reason didn't want that, I mean, so be it. But but to assume that that autism is this is just this totally normal thing is, is ridiculous. I think, I mean, I, I think it's insane. Mm-hmm. Um, again, this, this is assuming that, yeah. Okay. Well then, so bipolar is fine. We should let these individuals run around naked in the streets and, 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 and endanger themselves and others. Horrible about everything. Sure, and then sure. be down in the dumps. Like, no, that's, that's literally the whole thing of mental health care is trying to have people feel the best that they can feel and it's not forcing really anything on anybody. At least I'm not into forcing anything no, on anybody. No, absolutely. Absolutely. But no, you asking the question is exactly what I would want in a healthcare provider is somebody who's always questioning, always learning, and never set right. in their ways. Because I am right until I'm not. Right. I am right, right until somebody has a writer. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> and a, a better answer. And sometimes there's not a right and wrong answer. Sometimes it's just the best answer that we have right now with what we've got. Right. And you and I share in this at least, and I think this is also where where people in, in, in medicine especially fail, um, in particular in mental health, is what is the next 10, 20, 30 years look like for, for not only the individual in front of me, but for the individuals yet to come? Meaning that, okay, we have a 50% decline in testosterone in men, and, and this is also affecting women. What are the implications of that 30 years from now? And and is there anything I can do now? Is, is, there, is there any way I can, as an individual, um, make some leeway into avoiding that, I would say, denigration of the human species? Um, because it's certainly not helpful. Any anybody with any denial sense of denial is not helpful. Denial is not helpful. I mean, I've seen people argue that oh, lowering testosterone levels, this is great. This means men are going to be less violent, and you know, I'm like, it also means your bones are going to disintegrate yeah. faster. It also means that that you physically are going to be weaker. And yeah. testosterone is not just for men; it's also for women. Right. And it it means there's a lot of implicate. That's what that's what I mean. An implication is something that you have to consider. It's it's a. Um, not necessarily a bad side effect. It's something to consider. Just like with, with cannabis, an implication is, is if you have high blood pressure and you're on blood pressure medicine, specifically an ACE inhibitor or a beta blocker, if you use cannabis consistently and correctly, your body will try and correct the blood pressure itself. Mm-hmm. It's not a side effect that their blood pressure might go too low if they take that pill. It's an implication, meaning keep an eye on that because you might not need that pill much longer. <laughs> right. And, you, and nobody usually gets mad when you don't need a pill, but you don't need to pass out to figure it out. So you're just trying to say, before we get to a point where we could possibly pass out, why don't we look and see what could possibly happen or what are, you know, from what we understand about testosterone and, and its impact on the entire body, right. what, what could possibly happen 
unintentionally or, or what are we not thinking about that could happen that, oh, well, I don't want to, 30 years from now, I don't look back and go, oh, shit, I guess we should have thought about that. Right. E- so exactly. you're trying to think about that. E- exactly. But yeah. it's hard to think about that or anything because that means you're questioning and you're not allowed to question. And, right. And I'm sorry, but I would, the last thing that anybody needs right now is another healthcare provider that's just regurgitating uh, yeah. what the drug company fueled medical book told them to say. Right, right. And this is, this is in particular where, and I have great interest in, in this transgender, uh, I'll call it a dilemma right now because it, 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 the ramifications could be so catastrophically great. They could be. That, you know, we, we would, I would be remiss as a provider if I didn't have any sense Somebody of questioning. Somebody should be looking. Someone should be. And, and, just in case. You know, I mean, if you ask any, any doctor with their head on their shoulders, if you ask them, you know, should we do surgery first? The answer is almost always no. Surgery should always be almost always a last option. I mean, even a dentist, like they'll tell you, you don't want it. We don't want to take a tooth out unless we absolutely have to, because that tooth, believe it or not, is connected to a nerve, which is connected to your brain, which is connected to your central nervous system. And right. if we yank that thing, it's not just like there's a cascade, there's a ripple effect to every decision effect. that we make. And you're just wanting to know what is that ripple effect. Now, here's the thing, and here's where I think that you also lie, and where sometimes people aren't able to see past the questioning is at the end of the day, if I see that this ripple effect is going to possibly cause this, 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 and this, that's not my business to say, no, don't do that. It's my business to go back to that patient and say, okay, these are the implications. This could possibly cause this, 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 and this. And then it's their right to say, I know. Right. I understand that it could possibly cause you know, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 30 years from now, I get caused this damage. And I'm willing to take that risk because I would rather be what I feel to be myself Mm -hmm. for 30 more years than to be not myself definitely for 50. And that is their right and their their right to make that decision. And then it's my job as a healthcare provider to decide, can I safely assist this person? Mm-hmm. And if I cannot safely assist this person or if something is so far past my views right. or so far past my my ethics, you know, of I think that I'm actually going to cause harm to this person if I do this or I don't feel like I'm skilled enough to do this right. or I'm not or there's somebody better who can do this, then it's my job to send them to that person who's better. There's many right. things that I won't do. Sure. Of course. There's many things that I won't do. And it's not because I don't. And I, I think you have the right to have it done if that's what you want to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But. It's my job to make sure that I do the best that I can for that person. And if I somebody else can do better, to send them to that person. Right. Yeah. Like let them at least make an educated decision, just like with chemo. Chemo kills the majority of people. <laughs> right, right. You know, it does. Yeah, but it does. sometimes it's the only tool in the toolbox that that person is able to have access to. And that's the best that can happen. And they should be told, just so you know, the majority of people die from chemo, from an infection, because chemo wipes out your immune system. Right. Yeah. Are you willing to take that risk, you yeah. know, in order to add whatever years or, or do whatever that outcome could be? And then they're able to make that decision. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, that's perfectly said. You know, I <clears throat> maybe we could talk about this. I, I think part of the dilemma that some people have with, with you know, I, you and I, I think, would argue we have pretty libertarian views on things, Right. 
to some degree. Well, actually, we were talking about this the other day, so maybe we can get into this. I don't even know what I am <laughs> I know, anymore. I know. Maybe that's a un- it's almost an unfair <laughs> like, thing to. It's even, even yeah, I don't yeah. even know what I am. So so I guess you know <clears throat> there's there's the idea of a slippery slope, wherein at what point do we do we stand our ground and say no to something, and you know so so here's an example. Um, you know, and again, I'm not, I'm not saying this is, this is my opinion. I'm, I'm just showing an example. We have a transgender, uh, uh individual. Let's call let's say it's a male transitioning to female, 30 year old, uh, well-to-do, bright, Which is physically way more complicated than a female sure, transition. by far, yeah. by far. Um, however, he wants to go through with it. Most of us say, look, if you're not harming anybody, you're not hurting me, go for it. Here, mm-hmm. here's my opinion. Uh, if you like it, great. If you don't see someone else, whatever you need to do, but so on and so forth, right? right. Everything's fine. Uh, then we have a 16-year-old male to female. Okay. Um, I don't know how I feel about this. This is difficult. Um, you know, your, your prefrontal cortex is still kind of maturing. You, you, we all know Facebook told you what yeah, you am <laughs> I was a moron at 16. I, I can't imagine many other boys aren't. Um, but Okay, I guess as long as you get your parents' consent and and you find someone, fine. You don't let sixteen year old girls get breast implants. Sure, sure, but but what yeah. I'm saying is so okay. Now we have a six year old boy, right? And and so we start slimming, right? Almost no, I would say, arguably speaking, the majority of people aren't going to have a problem with thirty year old male making that decision. A slightly much smaller majority of people are going to have a problem with uh, a sixteen year old. And and now a huge majority of people are now going to have a huge problem with a six-year-old. So at what point do we decide? Because I've heard I've heard arguments on either side. In fact, I just listened to a one of the leading um, physicians who I'm totally blanking on her name. She works uh, through I think it's L.A. Children's. Um, anyway, she's in charge of the g- transgender clinic. Um, essentially, suggesting that that children. Um, Young, very young children uh, are are perfectly capable of recognizing the gender that they should be, um, and and furthermore are perfectly capable of making these decisions, um, because by and large she believes that these individuals are going to uh, going to transition anyways at some point in their life, might as well do it now, um, and in fact that's going to be protective in in some measures and ways, um, and I mean I was just flabbergasted by that I I just couldn't believe that I heard that because she's she's basing this off of some very 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 small data sets from i think the netherlands or or maybe even danish studies suggesting that this is a a possibility but i've seen also many 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 more studies suggest that that many young children who who are confused about their gender identity end up largely becoming especially if they're male gay men later in life. So so again, what I'm saying is there's some conflicting evidence at the very least, but you know, at what point do we draw the line? Because we certainly draw the line for individuals with schizophrenia and bipolar disorder. I mean, we we will house them essentially essentially jail them for right. 72 jail. hours, yeah. right? And and they could potentially be doing something somewhat inconspicuous but but not not horribly threatening. And, and yet we'll, we'll easily throw them in for 72 hours to get their head back on their shoulders, so to speak, and, and send them out the door. Um, but but yet when, when a, a six-year-old comes to me and tells me that he thinks he's a girl, now all of a sudden I'm beholden to affirm that 
give him puberty blockers, not me personally, but as a, as a medical practitioner, I would, I would, I would be beholden to help him <laughs> transition. Mm. Um, and, yeah, and, I don't know how I feel about that. I don't even let my daughter dye her hair. Right. And I think most of us are in that position, right? I, I would say the majority of people are in a position of, I don't know how I feel about that. I, I would, I would actually even argue that most of us would say that doesn't sound like a good idea. Yeah. Now, now at 16, some of us, I think will split. And then at yeah. 30, most of us are going to say, who the hell, who the hell cares? Let the guy right. do whatever he wants, please. Once the brain is fully developed, but, and I don't know, I guess, I guess I don't know where one would draw that line. I can tell you where I would draw that line with my own children. And it doesn't have to do with me not wanting them to be transgender. It has to sure. do with me not understanding. I mean, I don't trust giving them Tylenol the majority of the time. So right. me not understanding or knowing could this cause more damage than right. not? Um, so it has to do on on that end. And I mean, I don't, I'm not for people making lifelong medical decisions if they're not even at an age that we think that they're allowed to, to decide on who they think should be president. Right. Like, so they're allowed to say like, you know, something... I mean, I don't know. I mean, that's really, that's a tough call because I do believe that there are some people that know for a fact at five years old that they are not what society says they should be. And maybe right. that's the problem is society has put so many labels on people sure. that, and, and if we don't fit into a box, we have to create another box, you know, to, to fit into. And it's like, or maybe we have genderified, gender, whatever, we have made everything so pink and blue mm -hmm. that there, we've not thought to make room for yellow. So we got to yeah. hurry up and make the, that five-year-old pink or blue when yeah. maybe there's this whole other space that we don't even know about mm -hmm. for these people. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is the argument that I think most people would, would say that the, the, the very, very most progressive would say that, the, well, there's no such thing as gender. Gender is a societal, you know, it's a construction essentially. Uh, I mean, there's a such thing as a, as a male and a female, like just objectively speaking, there, there's penises and, and vaginas but, and then but, there's hermaphrodites. I mean, there's, there's biology. Right, right. I'm but, saying the most ultra progressives are even ignoring that um, or, or that doesn't necessarily dictate uh, anything in particular. Um, and, well, the and, sky's blue until it's not, I guess. Sure, it's pink and sure. orange sometimes, And, and I, I think you and I have a, at least a healthy understanding of, okay, well, certainly we could be proven wrong. Um, and, and again, we don't necessarily have I a dog in I don't know enough fight, to but... know that it's safe enough to be okay with it yet. Right. Yeah. That's a big enough deal that I would want to know more from well-intending sources. Right. And not political sources or or monetary sources that are looking for the next innovative thing to make money. Right. Like I would need to know from somebody who actually gave a shit about that those children. Right. And that they were doing scientific research based upon that desire to make sure that that those people were safe. Yeah, I mean, I mean, this goes back to your point. Like, there's a big difference between empowering someone. And pushing them into a position where they're going to be more sick and more dependent on so many other things and people that it's unfathomable. Right. And, and to be frank, transgender individuals, you couldn't pick a better thing 
what I don't mean thing as as in the person I mean thing as is in like they're a, totally a, dependent. Though. Yeah. So so now you have an individual who clearly is at, at the very least suffering from a mental health problem in, in the sense that he or she doesn't feel comfortable in his own gender. So okay, that's so a now, mental health issue. Now the we're fact seeing, that they're made to, or that they right, feel a certain right. way. Yes. So now we're seeing a, at least a therapist, and then then we have to see a medical provider. And then that medical provider is going to be gender affirming. He's going to send you through all these hoops to get surgery and then hormone replacement therapy. And you have to be on that for the rest of your life. But these are all society. These are, that's the problem is we're so separated from nature and connection that we right. can't even make a decision without bringing politics and without right. bringing, um, dependence right. into it. And, 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 you know, so I understand from a certain point, like you said, you, you know, people say, oh, I'm not allowed to talk on it because I'm not in their shoes. Well, no, I'm allowed to talk on it because I'm curious and I want the best thing for the, my people, yeah. regardless of if it's transgender or, you know, um, whatever the hell, like they feel as though they are, or they are or, or whatever. It's any drug, any change, any change that drastic, whether it's changing your hormone levels or changing you know i wouldn't want you to cut off a leg and just sew another one on because it's a better leg like i don't right. think that's the best option right like i think i mean in my head i'm six foot but unfortunately you know god made me or whatever my genetics made me five three and chubby so that's what i'm dealing with right, <laughs> right. now right i think um, i i mean i think this is where the rubber meets the road for me is that um again i you and i clearly have no problem with transgender individuals and when we don't hate no. them in fact it's the pure opposite and in fact i would argue that um if we can pat ourselves on the back a little bit i would argue we care even more because and we see even less diverse like less of a difference like as far yeah. as because that's okay so that's just a human over there that right. i want to make sure that we're doing the best thing possible for right yeah yeah i you know i we we would see the same thing if you and I were in a conventional mental health practice and they were just saying, dude, you're not prescribing enough Soloft. I need you to prescribe more because we have 10 minute appointments and we got to get- identify as, as serotonin. Laughing. Sure. Sure. Perfect. Yeah. I <laughs> yeah. mean, what you couldn't ask for a better way to a make a lot of money off individuals and, and you couldn't ask for oh, a better yeah. way to make those individuals more sick and more dependent on you right. as a provider. And that's and our medical system. That's our medical system. So, so if you're looking at transgender, uh, methodologies in, in terms of medicine as anything different, you're fooling yourselves. Yeah. Um, it's exactly the same. We have, we have doctors who are pretending to think that there are these empathetic warriors and, and compassion out the wazoo and everything's fine when we know that a too much compassion is almost worse than none. Um, and, and, and B it's the same freaking game. Just like the drive through testosterone centers, even if you're not transgender, you just want a testosterone boost. Sure, sure. You can just go grab some. Absolutely, yeah. They're yeah. not. They don't care. They don't look no. at your gene code to make sure no. that you don't have a bleed. They did that to my brother. They didn't make sure he didn't have a bleed, you know, bleeding <laughs> right. disorder. Right. They didn't exactly. make sure that he didn't have this rare genetic anomaly that caused him to blow clots with extra testosterone. They didn't right. care. They just wanted that whatever money mm -hmm. that they get for that shot of testosterone. Or right. and, and for, you know, uh, females too. Like, oh, you're getting some wrinkles. Oh, right. you're drying up a little bit. Here, right. let's shoot some stuff into you without even caring yeah. about well, what's the baseline. What's that person's baseline? Right. Because that person might be, quote, normal textbook, but that normal to you is too much for them. Mm -hmm. That type of thing. So, yeah, I mean, it's... People can act like they care, but the, the people who 
actually care are the ones asking the questions, even when Facebook tells you you're not allowed. Agreed. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And I really, this wasn't this wasn't to pat myself on the back, but but to help people recognize that um, whether they realize it or not, you are you know what's the saying, especially in terms of government, like. There's, there's no better society than a society that's perpetually sick, but not sick enough to not pay their taxes, right? Yeah. And, and, and so subservient. There's no money in being healthy. There's no money in being healthy, just but there's no enough. money. There's no you money. You got to be just sick enough. Yeah, you can't be dead either. <laughs> I know because they got rid of some death taxes. Right. So now like you got to be just sick enough to be right. dependent. Right. And so that way, when I tell you, you will do this. Mm -hmm. You will not get an abortion. You will get an abortion. You will not get this experimental shot. You will get this experimental shot. When I tell you that you have no choice but to comply with my order, because if you don't, then you don't get your meds. You have to have to be quote you, Mm -hmm. or you don't get your job. You don't get your money to pay your mortgage or to pay your $700 car payment or the, that's, that's literally what, what we've created. And we've taken out the organic curiosity and good intention Mm -hmm. and and i mean this is where i mean going all the way back to psychedelics i'm which is how we got aa by the way yeah right exactly it's how we got the pcr it's how we got apple it's how we got psychiatry how we got psychiatry so so i mean going back to psychedelics my my optimistic side is i couldn't be happier my pessimistic side is very, very afraid that this is going to be... How this is going to be... How is this going to play out? Yeah, because... I can already tell you, we've got ketamine clinics popping up everywhere. Right. With absolutely no therapy associated with it. No guidance, no setting. There's not a, a, a... It's... I mean, in Missouri, you've got a trip box. You can just have it mailed to you. Um, right. and you get a, it's like a headphone and an MP3 player or like a, a eye patch, an MP3 player and like some ketamine and with no appreciation of everything involved. And that's the problem with psychedelics. I think to certain people is it's hard to deny the benefit of the therapy. Now it's hard right. to deny the benefit of, of things. But it, and then you look at, Okay, so psychedelics are great, but that's being used in the way that they've been used with real medicine men, with real intentions and real care for their people and and things like that. And no, we're already perverting the crap out of it and everybody's going to get an MDMA and, you know, everybody's going to get their their pills and then the insurances are deciding to cover it and the investments and the stocks and the, Mm -hmm. the, Mm -hmm. the, the, the place to be. And we've already lost... You know, with with just you can go to a corner infusion store. Basically, we've already lost the the other aspects of it. It's almost like cannabis, where they just isolated THC and right, call exactly. it a commodity of it uh, of ignorance. You've lost the entourage effect. You've lost the ability mm-hmm. to heal with the other cannabinoids and terpenoids and flavonoids and yep. and and things like this. So you you lose. You bite off your nose to spite your face. Right. Yeah, yeah, the, and, and medicine is so good at that reductionism. That that's what I fear with uh, the psychedelics in particular is that somehow they're going to probably even continue to uh, right find a way to isolate so much a particular com- component. They have. Sure, they have, and yeah. and 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 then even right. Uh, oh, we 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 only do doses of 
uh, you know, what are microdoses, right? So you'll never yeah. have a mystical experience. You can't unless you overdose on it, which is, you know, right. Yeah. I, I just, you can see where they can put all these loopholes and, and cannabis is the best example I could imagine because, uh, you know, cannabis today is not the cannabis of the early 1800s. No, it's a commodity 1900s. that you can sell genetically modified and nothing sure. but high THC. And right. I'm like, well, what about it's like corn? CBN? Yeah, <laughs> right? what about or soy? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a bastard. It's unfortunately it's somewhat bastardized. Um, somewhat, it's uh, totally extremely bastardized. bastardized. Yeah, yeah. So Agreed. we don't know. That's what I'm saying. Like cannabis, cannabis. When I say that's so helpful, is the cannabis that grew up out of the ground, you know, naturally and processed with nat- naturally. Not the genetically modified thousand right. percent dabs people are sucking on all day. Right. Because then you're actually throwing off the endocannabinoid system the other way. You're causing rebound yeah. issues yeah. And, and dysregulation. Absolutely. It's just like with water. I mean, water is, you know, obviously essential, but you can have too much. Yeah. It's funny. I mean, microdosing psilocybin is a problem because we actually see there's some literature on this that we actually see some cardiovascular implications. It wasn't, it wasn't probably meant to be taken every single day. Um, you know, if anything, it was meant to be taken once every year because uh, one trip is plenty for most people. Yeah. You don't restart your computer every day. Exactly. Like, but when the computer's not hooking up to the printer and not doing this, what's the first thing you do? Did you turn it off and turn it back on? Did exactly. you unplug it and plug it back in? You don't want to do that every day. Right. Right. You don't want to force a reset. Yeah. Whereas cannabis on the flip side is almost like it probably it was sustainable. You probably should have used it every single day. And now we've we've made such a monster out of it. Like, my God, if you use anything. You took away the whole food, the most purest, most whole food in the world that can be used for pretty much everything. Yeah. And that's why we demonize. Yeah. I mean, literally, I could almost say to, to any degree, like. Almost, almost anything that's been put on a schedule category, it's like, what, what are we missing here? Because the schedule is the pay to play. Right. It's the pay to play. That's all that that is. It, sure. it has nothing to do with anything else. Otherwise, cocaine wouldn't be a two while, you right, know, like, right, right. <laughs> or like, you know, you, there's, but that's a whole, that's but this a whole is an unpopular class. opinion, but even, even, even cocaine at s- small doses can be radically beneficial. Well, yeah, it is. It's and used it is. medically. Sure, like, sure. I mean, my, my ancestors in Peru used it all the time in, in the high mountains because yeah. it would help with, you know, so it, it's. It, it, what's used in the United States now for things, for, for vasoconstriction. Right. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, nasal surgery. Put in eye drops. Like for, yeah. yeah, absolutely. So. Um, you know, again, the, do- the dose is certainly the poison always, but, but the further we start, and this is interesting because we, we can connect this, the further we start divorcing something natural from its own nature, like genetically modifying corn or soy or cannabis, the worse that product ends up becoming for us. Mm-hmm. And we do the exact same thing with ourselves and we don't recognize it. You know, we're, we're literally ingesting things that are divorced from nature and then somehow expecting us to be more in tune with it, right? Well, I smoke weed every single day and now I'm miserable and, you know. Yeah, but you also go to McDonald's every single day and don't it, drink water. And, exactly. Yeah. It, it, it just, it goes to show that, um, you know, it's it's not so simple as, oh, you were, you were born this way. I mean, it, it, the implications of, of the way your mother and father ate, the way they... The stress that the stress. your father went through as a nine-year-old boy. Yeah. The yeah. stress that your mother's mother went through while she was pregnant with you. Right. These are all coming to play yeah. at bat with you now. Yeah. Um, and again, this is this is why in particular, I, I don't think it's like autism is just going to be cured. 
You know, it's it's not it's not clear to me that a person with autism is is you know all we have to do is is give them a fecal microbiota transplant and that's it it's all over with game over i think they're always going to be who they are it's just it's a matter of can we can we rectify some of the things that we've really messed up with um and and can we allow that individual less suffering so we can have an accurate baseline assessment of what's actually 100%. wrong versus what's the side effect yeah, of something of else. That's literally all you're asking. Yeah. yeah. All at, it's all I'm asking. <laughs> on, on a macro level, I'm, I'm focused like on the, you know, like when I talk about cannabis and the endocannabinoid system, I'm, I'm thinking about this, this whole ecological system that is our body, right? And you're like, okay, so you're taking it a step further and you're saying, okay, so our body, meaning our, all of us mm-hmm. as humankind, what does this have to do with all of us and how is that affecting all of us? Exactly. So, but yeah, asking those questions is, is not always appreciated. And, and honestly, I welcome it. If there's things that we know that we do that are wrong, eating dairy, you know, um, we're not meant to drink milk after we're a baby, no other mm-hmm. animal does it. Um, but it's also, you know, we also tell everybody to stop breastfeeding at 12 months. And I'm like, really? Because yeah. that's really good for you through brain development. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. that's really good yeah. for so many reasons. We won't even get into the tribes yeah. that breastfeed up until six, but yeah, I mean, it's well, good. Yeah, it, but right. Here's the thing, but right. we say no only 12 months and then we say, put everybody on formula. And then now what happened? They can take away your formula and right. people can't it's, feed their own babies. Exactly. We literally Nestle did that with African tribes where mm-hmm. they got them on formula and then sure. they left after they got their little study done and took, took their pictures. Right. Yeah, of course. And babies starved to death. Mm-hmm. So that's what you're doing. That's what you do with chapstick. That's what you do with melatonin. Take melatonin every night. And so your body right. can't make it. And then you can't ever sleep now. Right. Because your body stops making it. Um, lotion. Mm-hmm. You know, like we've created yeah. to where we cannot live without being dependent on completely dependent on somebody else right for essentials now right yeah and i mean you know this is where you know i think some people are like well so so what i'm not supposed to take testosterone ever or estrogen ever what you know and i I don't think that's right we're not saying that at all in fact we're saying we're saying sometimes the damage is so far done we we unfortunately do have to do that and there's nothing wrong with that what can we do to make the damage not happen right how can i make sure that that doesn't happen to your kid or their kid with looking at genetic mutations, I do the same thing all the time. Sure, like with sure. the simple MTHFR, yep. looking at that, I'm going, okay, so maybe your kid doesn't have to go through hell right. with digestive dis- you know, disorders and, and being misdiagnosed as bipolar when in mm-hmm. actuality it has to do with folic acid conversion and serotonin production yep. from this one genetic mutation that we have made worse with fortified fake folic acid. Exactly. That's yeah. all. So you're saying, okay, so I'm saying, well, you know, we actually made that worse. So we already had that gene. Everybody had that gene mutation, but we didn't have all this fake stuff right. turning it on and making it worse. Right. It's you're you're just saying don't start smoking, <laughs> right? Like yeah. or maybe smoking is what's caused these issues. Yeah. Right. You're not saying don't use a nicotine patch. Exactly. To get off of cigarettes. Right. You're saying, how about we don't just automatically give you a nicotine patch? Let's work on how do we make you not start smoking yeah. to begin with. That's all. Or let you smoke cannabis. Well, there's always that. There's always that, right? <laughs> and then this is the th- this is the cool thing, though, right? Is like is like there are even better options out there, right? Yeah. Like 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 helping people recognize cannabis as a tool for addiction. 
Psychedelics. Psychedelics Psychedel- is kicking psychedelics cannabis' is ass right now. For sure. With outcomes and addiction for and alcohol. Sure. Like that's, to me, I get goosebumps and, and almost get moved to tears reading some of this and looking at, because I uh, work with addiction, you know, mm-hmm. medicine, yep, yep. And, and I've worked with, and I just um, took a short-term, uh, very short-term job um, as a as a, an executive as an, at an addiction treatment center. And just watching these people literally just cycle them in and out. That's all you do. That's all you do. They're at a revolving door. You just cycle them in and out. Get all the money you can. Squeeze all the money you can out of them. Knowing good and damn well that what you're doing isn't working. But you just keep doing the same damn thing over and over and over. And then looking at some of these, you know, organizations that are using psychedelics and literally giving these people a chance to override that genetic variation, override that trauma and have a legitimate clean slate chance to rebuild their lives and, and really get, you know, be what they can be, be them right without the drugs and the alcohol and things and, and literally watching and looking at the, the longitudinal is very short, obviously, sure. but seeing six months later, 12 months later, these people still aren't drinking 80%, you know, they're, they're, they're not drinking still. Yeah. Do you know at, at these centers that we pay trillions of dollars for, like 90 something percent end up drinking again within six right. months. Like it's not easy. And I have a long family history of alcohol mm-hmm. and drug addiction. And to know that there's a tool out there that was already here because people forget we've only had all these drugs, you know, for the last hundred years before right. that we had plant medicine and I'll be damned if we didn't live for millions of years uh-huh. with just the plants mm-hmm. that we had. Right. And, and, and we were okay. Right. I mean, I mean, this, this goes to, I think that we can point at this pretty easily and I'm not, I'm not saying that we, you know, we all necessarily have to go back to living in a nomadic tribe or something like that, but I wouldn't mind it. I wouldn't mind it either. But what we, what we, what we do definitely (laughs) see is, I mean, and this is very well documented, um, with the Hadza tribe in particular in Africa, um, is there is literally, they don't hardly have a word for depression. It doesn't even exist in their vocabulary. It's it's not something people experience more or less. No, they, a, because they experience sadness when you need to. Exactly. You experience grief when you need exactly. to. Exactly. You when it's time to grieve, you grieve and you grieve as a community. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They and recreationally okay. they they recreationally smoke a plant that is mildly um uh mildly psychoactive. Um, they they compare it to like the most mildest cannabis of, of but but they smoke it pretty regularly and they use it shamanically. Um, and, and anyway, so they, they have all these medicines built in to their systems and, and you can look at that tribe in Africa and you can compare it to a tribe in the most remote part of, of, um, you know, Mongolia or, or, or Russia and, and, and see vastly different ecological, uh, uh, you know, medicines and, and things of that nature. And, and still yet we have no rates of depression. There are hardly any rates of suicide. Um, you know, it's, it's just so profoundly obvious that if we take that evolutionary pattern and then disrupt it, like we have, it's like, no wonder, man, we were in the position we are now. Are useful. They know that they have a purpose. Their sure. purpose is defined. They feel useful. They are needed. Yeah. They're wanted. They're loved. They're yeah. celebrated mm-hmm. the way that they are. And that connection and that sense of connection, that sense of loyalty. So loyalty is, I don't mean it in a dirty word, like mm-hmm. you're loyal to your gang. It's right. But the sense of real family, 
Like good, yeah. bad, and ugly, you're still my family, and I am still going to be here for you, good, bad, and ugly. So that that whole sense, our cancel culture is so strong now that we don't even have a sense, you don't even have a sense of safety to bring up an opinion no, or ask a medical question, and you're a medical provider. Yeah. It, it, so yeah. like that that whole like through thick and through thin and and love you no matter what and accept you even if you say something dumb or even if I don't agree mm-hmm. with you or even if you say like you're so I have I do have friends of mine that are so opposite of my thought process and their mm-hmm. and their conclusions and their beliefs but we still have a mutual appreciation right. of each other's belief. Mm-hmm. I have a girlfriend who I've been went to school with from the sixth grade on up. She's the only one that's ever done my hair. And every time I go and she's extremely right wings sure. Kind sure. of Trump supporter type, sure. but I know her heart is love. Yeah. So she's not the quote racist. Da, 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 yeah. da. She's the, you know, she sees other things and she yeah. believes in, in certain things, but she's smart. She acknowledges bias mm-hmm. and she acknowledges at least that cognitive dissonance of, wait a second, if that's a person, then this is a person. Right. Or wait a second, I thought you're not supposed to judge because you're not God. Right. And so like she's open to acknowledging what's in her own house. Yeah. And seeing what doesn't make sense and even saying, yeah, you're right. That doesn't make sense. But at the end of the day, this is what I believe. But I also believe that's up for God and that's not my problem to decide. Mm-hmm. And that's all that anybody needs. We right. don't have to be the same right winged, you know, like, right. um, you know, thinking it's we can have discussions and agree to disagree mm-hmm. and still hug each other and, right. and let well, me know and, how the family is doing. And, and, and certainly know. how useful would that be in a, in a tribe of, say, 50 to 150 people where you would desperately need uh, people who are more left leaning and more right leaning to get anything done of any value. Right. I, mean, I literally was just talking about this with a girlfriend of mine who's one of the sweetest, most Pollyanna Sure, sure. Always sees the best. And my one, I have a girlfriend who I call her sunshine bear. She calls me stormy bear. (laughs) I think I'm just realistic. Yeah. But you have to have all of it. Like you're saying, and I'm sorry to interrupt, but yeah, like we literally were just talking about this. You have to have all of those aspects, you know? And I was like, it's it's like, if you run a cruise ship, you've got to have people that are all make all the parties and have all the fun. But then you've got to have the people like me who think about Every different algorithm and possibility that could happen. So I have the lifeboats here and the life jackets here and the supply of water here. And you have to have the, quote, grumpy bears. Yeah. uh, You have to have the realistic, you know, like thinking about the possibilities of what could go wrong so you can mitigate that, which is like what you're doing. You're Mm -hmm. not saying there's anything wrong with transgender. There's anything wrong with anything. You just want to mitigate any damage that we could be inadvertently causing. Right. And understanding that so people can make that right decision for themselves. Mm -hmm. At whatever age is proper. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that having different beliefs. And, and here's the thing is my one girlfriend that I work with um, in, in Missouri, she's not very pro-cannabis at all. Mm-hmm. So imagine me, like cannabis <laughs> flying. My dog's name is Willie Nelson. Like <laughs> cannabis for everything. My kid has Tourette's and he, one of his takes is cannabis. You know, like he's <laughs> so I mean, like imagine me being partners like business partners and even friends with somebody who doesn't see the value in that yet in her life but sees the value in understanding different opinions or understanding science sees the value in learning right 
and and recognizing she could even potentially be wrong and that would be okay. Oh, she's totally knows. Sure. She's like, oh, yeah, I, I could be wrong here. You're really sure. smart, so I have to at least listen to you or, you know, sure. like sure. that type of a thing. And But I understand it's valuable yeah. for me to have her on my team. One, because she understands something differently than I do. And I need to understand how she, you know, like, why does she feel that way? So I can at least support the people that feel the same way as her. Yeah. what One of the, to get esoteric a little bit here for a second, because I, I think you're driving home this idea um, of, of, you know, there's this, I, I hate, I hate what the yin and the yang symbol has become, by the way. Um, I, I, I can't imagine a better way to describe, uh, just the natural order of things and, and people and, and things of that nature where there's a dark and a light and there's a little bit of dark in the light and there's a little bit of light in the dark and, and it's spinning. <laughs> it's like evolving, yeah. continuously changing. And, and so what I'm trying to tie in here is that one of the cool things about psychedelics and the mystical experiences in particular, which mirror, I would argue many of the near death experiences that I've read about um, is that most people, what, what they're, what they're actually either describing directly or indirectly is a, is a full acceptance, a feeling of being fully accepted, which, which I, you know, I don't think any of us really can understand or connect with until it's really, truly presented to us. Um, because every single day we do live in a very, you know, we are quite tribally minded, whether we like it or not, to some degree, you know, we are left leaning or right leaning. Um, we are, we are pull yourself up by your bootstraps or, or give all your money to the poor. But, but at the end of the day, I think what psychedelics provides us and, and even your death experiences provide us is an understanding that we are all unified. And, and in fact, you know, I think whether we like it or not. Yeah, whether you like it or not. And and <laughs> yeah. and the beauty maybe that most people recognize is that it seems potentially that after this life that's where we're heading. And 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 can we can we bring that back with us here on this earth to some degree and and this is where I think people like Steve Jobs whether you really like him or not you know had this vision of how do I provide value to everybody, right? Like, like it, it, the vision wasn't, it, I mean, it, certainly he made a lot of money and, and certainly that was a part of it. But the, 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 I think the, the motive behind him and why he was so successful was, was how do I provide value to everybody and how can we make this forever, like we're right. not we're not necessarily looking at our failures and oh we didn't meet this quota and whatnot. What, what we're actually looking at is is again providing value to to everybody and and I think most of the great inventors and, and people in medicine to some degree their, their their ethos is 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 that that's their general intention. Sure. Yeah. At the heart of things, and of course things get perverted and sure, and, and, and all of that. But yes, that is. That is some of the, I think, excitement for me with, um, with psychedelics as well is the, to me, I'm excited to think that we could all get that, that, um, connection or at least feel it for a minute, that connection that we all so much crave, Mm -hmm. because like you said, we are tribally minded. That's why we want to fit into a box. We want to fit into a tribe. 
but we're not tribal. Like we don't follow through with that because a real tribe is through thick and through thin. You've got my back. You support me. You love me no matter what. Right. We are, we want to fit into a group, but we don't, we're, we're very quick to change groups. Right. Because that's what's convenient for me right now. Right. Whereas some people actually, you know, like when they get married, it's not the government getting involved in tax purposes. It's <laughs> like, I want to, I want to make a soul pact right. with this other human that says we have each other's backs. We are, we are, you know, we, no matter what, you don't need to question that I have your back. I can right. fall out of love with you. I cannot be attracted to you. Mm-hmm. I can be mad at you. I can even be disgusted by you, but I'm going to be here. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm going to yeah. be, we are connected and, and we have, you have a ride or die. Yeah. We don't have that anymore. Like that's the thing is we, we want a ride or die. We say we have, but you don't. Right. Because the second that person doesn't agree with you over something that you don't even know what you're talking about half the time. Like, it's like, what right. do you know? You're right. regurgitating, right? Right, right. It's, it's, that's what's sad. And that's what I feel like have the, the psychedelics have the potential to do is they have the potential to break down that ego to allow us to actually understand as divided as we are and as separate as we are. It doesn't have to be divided and separate. It can be together and diverse. Yeah, yeah. And appreciate each other's, yeah. Yeah, that's perfect. Listen, we just did like two hours. Sorry. No, that's awesome. It's freaking awesome. Um, Could you imagine if we used cannabis in the this? Well, first of all, this would have gone horrible. (laughs) It would have gone amazingly well for you. It would have gone horribly for me. If anybody knows that uh, anything about my cannabis usage is that it... it, um, makes me feel extraordinarily sleepy in the best way possible. I mean, it's, it's because it's, you need sleep. I need sleep. The mm-hmm. beauty of cannabis is that it shows you exactly what you need more of. Yeah. I think half the time, and what I typically need more of is rest, probably. So, um, I just drool on myself, and, and my <laughs> wife sits next to me, and she knits, and she can read and, and comprehend very uh, complicated things. And I turn into that's what a, we need. We need Sherelle in here, and, we and then we can. Yeah. <laughs> um, Tara, tell first of all. Tell everybody, like, if they wanted to get into contact with you about, with, about cannabis and, 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 and looking into that more, um, how, do, how do they contact you right now? Well, I mean, if they're interested, obviously, in the state of Ohio, um, we do some cannabis integration options, meaning we integrate it into your current lifestyle and or people that are already lifelong cannabis users, they just might want to fine tune or they just might want to be legal, yeah, right? Yeah. I do still make you sit through the lecture. And just in case, you know, just so you understand, there's a, a reason why I might suggest what I suggest. And, um, but they can always go to um, just lotushealthllc.com, fill out a new patient request form. I'm just going to get an email asking for records. And then we'll set up a time where we can, we can Zoom, you know, and right. kind of go over what your goals are. And what is it that you need and you want or what are your priorities right now? Because you can have a certain set of priorities today. And then they might change six months from now. You might even know that, like, for instance, I know I'm not in the best physical and mental health. So I know what I need to do to get there. Mm-hmm. And then after that, I'm going to go do this. And then after right. that, you know, so basically just trying to be a part of, um, I just, you know, I feel blessed that people allow me to be a part of their journey. Yeah. Yeah. Just to, just to input here, guys, um, mostly because I've worked with her and this is certainly somewhat biased opinion, but I'll give it anyways. Um, 
Tira offers literally the most insightful um, approach to cannabis that I've ever encountered. Um, and, and this is the difference between going to someone and getting a card and walking out the door and thinking, I don't know shit about anything. Um, and, and literally walking in the door or, or, or seeing Tira via Zoom and, and having someone who A, has your back, uh, has a ridiculously uh, profound understanding of, of the physiology of your body and how cannabis might interact with it, even if you're taking certain medications and how, how could we uh, either avoid or, or, or handle this more appropriately. I mean, it's, it's profound. So um, if you're interested in it, even even just recreationally, medically, whatever, like Kira said, it, it can change. I mean, maybe you're using it recreationally and then all of a sudden um, it's not suiting you so well and maybe you could use it medicinally or, or if you just have any general interest at all in it, um, it, it is by far the most um, worthwhile uh, approach that I've ever encountered. So anyways. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah. yeah. Thanks a lot for being here. It's amazing to see you. It's been like two years almost. So I know because we we go back and forth, but I'll be on a plane um, here in about 12 hours to go up to Colorado. And that's where I find my best connection so far is just being in more than non um, populated areas of the middle of nowhere just to be <laughs> <laughs> me just too to be mountains and, and trees yeah. alpha pinene and those pine trees that's all me. that sounds amazing um thank you guys so much for joining us again this is the nine for nico podcast you can find me on spotify and apple podcasts um i will link uh in the show notes um to uh, L- uh lotus health llc um so you can contact tira if you want to thanks a lot guys take care Thanks, Nico. Yep, thanks, Sierra.